Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Good evening, everyone. We begin tonight with breaking news in the multiple special counsel investigations into Donald Trump. In the last hour, there have been some big, big developments in the classified documents case. A superseding indictment has added a new charge against Donald Trump, one additional count of willful retention of national defense information. It also adds a third defendant to the case alongside Trump and his longtime valet, Waltine Nada. Carlos de Oliveira was the head of maintenance at Trump's Florida resort and reportedly helped Nada move boxes of documents from the infamous storage room at a key moment, a day before prosecutors came to retrieve those remaining classified documents. He's facing four charges, including conspiracy to obstruct justice, concealing an object, corruptly concealing a document, and false statements. And according to the superseding indictment, a week after the DOJ emailed an attorney for Trump's business organization, a draft grand jury subpoena requiring the production of certain security camera footage from Mar-a-Lago, De Oliveira had this conversation with another Trump employee. Quote, De Oliveira told Trump employee four that the boss wanted the server deleted. Trump employee four responded that he would not know how to do that and that he did not believe that he would have the rights to do that. Trump employee four told De Oliveira that De Oliveira would have to reach out to another employee who was a supervisor of security for Trump's business organization. De Oliveira then insisted to Trump employee four that the boss wanted the server deleted and asked, what are we going to do? A lawyer for De Oliveira declined to comment. This comes as Trump is likely facing his third indictment as a former president, the result of trying to overthrow the very government he was presiding over. And while we're still awaiting word from the D.C. grand jury, which met today, just down the street, two of Trump's lawyers met with prosecutors in special counsel Jack Smith's office. It was in that meeting that Trump's lawyers were told to expect an indictment against their client according to two sources with knowledge of the situation. ABC News is reporting that Smith was present for the meeting, according to sources familiar with the matter. NBC News has not confirmed that. That meeting is seen as the last step before any potential indictment would come down, a chance for Trump's lawyers to make one more attempt at convincing prosecutors not to bring charges. Neither the special counsel's office nor Trump's lawyers are speaking out about what happened. But that didn't stop Trump from providing his take, calling the meeting productive, but saying that no indication of notice was given during the meeting about an impending indictment. However, law enforcement is preparing for that outcome, with members of the U.S. Marshal's Office meeting earlier today with other members of law enforcement outside of the D.C. federal courthouse. And that's not the only courthouse being prepared for a big impending announcement. In Georgia, Barricades have been erected outside the Fulton County Courthouse, indicating something big might be happening there soon as well. District Attorney Fonnie Willis has indicated that she, too, would be coming to a decision about bringing an indictment against Donald Trump in the weeks ahead. 
Joining me now is my friend and colleague, Nicole Wallace, host of the, of the great show, Deadline White House, Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel, former senior member of the Mueller probe, and MSNBC legal analyst, um, Ryan Riley, um, who is also an NBC News justice reporter. Thank you all for being here. Nicole, I do want to start with you. I am a slow reader. <laughs> so I'm on page um, 49 trying to speed read this indictment. But I can tell you, even as a layperson who never worked in the White House, as you, my friend, did, this ain't normal. The conversations that this new defendant, Mr. D. Oliveira, was having with Walt Nada, um, the two guys who seem to be the box movers and box hiders here, going to the IT guy and asking if the servers could be deleted, the conversations about whether employees are loyal, whether D. Oliveira would stay loyal. And then the new thing, I think, which actually was pretty big news, uh, which is the 32nd count against Trump, that we now know that the government has the document that he showed off at Bedminster. That's count 32. I am just curious to hear, even though I watch your show every day, so I know some of what you think, but please tell us what you make of all of this new information. Well, you pulled it out in your read. I mean, what's so stunning, and I keep waiting for one of these morons who've been, you know, looking for Hillary Clinton's server for a gazillion years to sue Trump for loss of dignity. He wanted the server deleted. I mean, the the, the content that has been revealed of the not just the lack of character on an ex-president's part, but the depths of depravity and corruption and criminality is just something we'll never unsee as a country. It's something his Republican apologists will never get a bell they can never unring. There are still segments in right-wing media about Hillary Clinton's email <laughs> server as the superseding indictment comes out and reveals that Trump's staff at Mar-a-Lago was trying to figure out how to satiate the boss's desire to, quote, delete the server. It's, it's, you know, it's where irony goes to die, but it is, it is you know, you, you keep thinking what would have happened if Merrick Garland hadn't appointed Jack Smith to investigate this case and the January 6th case. And we, we may have never seen these inner workings of how Trump really committed his crimes. I mean, and the, the, you know, they're talking back and forth, these employees, about the beautiful mind boxes, about his need for the boxes. You know, you have Walt Nada changing his plans. He's supposed to go to Illinois with Trump, and then he doubles back and goes back to Mar-a-Lago to meet with De Oliveira. At one point, they go to the they go through the bushes and go to the neighboring property so they can have a clandestine <laughs> conversation about the beautiful mind boxes. He wants his boxes. He wants to move from place to place. This definitely looks like a cat and mouse game to hide what Donald Trump knew the government wanted back. And as somebody who worked in the White House, this cannot be how this works. Former presidents can have and can be read into classified information, as I understand it from listening to you, my friend. But this ain't how it's done. Yeah. And Jack Smith makes that clear in the first indictment, right? He talks about a waiver that could be applied for and granted, which didn't apply in this case. Trump didn't apply for one and none was granted. I mean, the, the physical sort of acts are so remarkable, right? In the first one, there's the plucking out. You know, Trump says to Corcoran, can you just pluck out? And in this one, you've got, you know, his, his maintenance staff talking about how to destroy servers. I mean, it, again, it, for it to have been the fixation on the right for the better part of 10 years to look for Hillary Clinton's emails and then to see the brazenness. And I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot on and off TV. It is the 
end of a process of nothing ever catching up with Trump, right? You know, grab women between the you-know-what and get elected president of the United States of America. Good people on both sides. Your poll numbers go up. Get away with impeachment one. You carry out the conduct in impeachment two. Get away with both of those. You try to steal an election. Now his message on the stump is, I am your retribution. I mean, this is sort of a quickly accelerating pattern of really brazen criminal conduct. Yeah, and Andrew, first of all, if you could just explain uh, to the, the, uh, the fellow lay people like myself a superseding indictment, just explain that, because I'm reading and I'm, I'm on like count 40. You know, we started with 31 counts in that first really um, well-written, very narrative, uh, almost, uh, you know, like a Netflix special. Well, I guess we can't talk about that because they're, they're the bad guy in the, against the unions. But you know what I mean? I mean, it read like a narrative. And now you have this, this narrative that makes it even more sinister, this cat and mouse game that they know they're playing. It seems to me that Walt Nara and Mr. D. Oliveira, the, the flunkies, Donald Trump's guys who he gets to do the dirty work, they seem to understand that what they were doing wasn't right. Um, explain a superseding indictment and how why you think this came now and not before. Sure. So a superseding indictment can in, can add charges and it can add defendants. And in this situation, it added both. It added new charges uh, with respect to existing defendants, principally Donald Trump, and it added a new defendant. Um, and the charges and the new allegations are really significant. And for somebody who says that you're not a speed reader, I mean, you really encaptured, you know, ev encapsulated everything that's really there. Um, so let me just talk to you for a second about why I think these are so important. The additional obstruction charges, which is you and Nicole have talked about, is this idea of like, OK, get rid of the surveillance tapes. I mean, that is such devastating proof of both obstruction and the underlying criminality. You don't need to get rid of the surveillance tapes if you didn't do anything wrong. Right. This reminds me so much of Paul Manafort, who was we superseded and added obstruction charges is to him. And by the way, do you know what happened there is he went to jail yeah. um, when that happened. Now, the difference is that those additional crimes of obstruction happened while he was out on supervised release. But remember, the, he you're going to have a defendant here, Donald Trump, who is facing obstruction charges and is about to get indicted in D.C. <coughs> the issue for a judge on bail is whether somebody is going to show up and also whether they're going to continue to commit crimes. Uh, I'm not saying that he is going to be remanded, but this is something that a, a different judge could take extremely seriously about this, the uh, conditions of his bail, given that he is so clearly flaunting legal process. So that's one issue. The second is that, you know, we've talked a lot about that tape recording uh, where Donald Trump is on tape talking about what was happening at Bedminster and flaunting the the Iran uh, attack plans. And it was such a damning piece of evidence. It was described in the indictment, but it wasn't charged. And I and other people spent a lot of time talking about why wasn't it charged? It now is. It yeah. is, you know, there was a lot of speculation about did they not have the document? Is that the reason? Were they doing this as a plan B? Were they holding it and thinking maybe they have to charge it in New Jersey? Well, it is now that really um, incredibly important tape recording is one of the charges. So the, what is the import of that? 
it makes it impossible for the judge not to admit that tape recording into evidence because um, it is now it is now just not sort of other crime evidence and background evidence. It is evidence of an actual charge. So this has now become a much, much stronger case. And it was already very strong. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, let me bring you in here, because this this today felt like it was part waiting game. I, I was I was watching Deadline White House uh, earlier, just like. Is something going to happen? And then all of a sudden, everything like happened, right? It was sort of like nothing, nothing, nothing. We're waiting. Okay, looks like the grand jury's not going to. Oh, my God, everything's happening, right? And so you've got this sort of three-part tsunami here. You've got the grand jury meeting today, but no charges seeming to come out about case number, what we'll call it case number one, the January 6th case. Then you've got these superseding indictments and additional charges for Trump, and a new character has been introduced to us, Mr. De Oliveira. And then you've got Georgia, because they're putting up barricades outside the courthouse down there, which seems to be an indication that they're at least preparing for something big. And we know that Fonnie Willis has been indicated something might be coming there. Uh, talk a little bit about, I mean, I don't understand how Trump world even keeps their cases straight at this point, because they also face, you know, civil and other issues as well. You know, like an hour and a half ago, based um, partially on what, you know, Andrew uh, has said pr previously, I was going around the courthouse uh, trying to open doors to see if any courtrooms were secretly open and thinking that they may have been returning uh, an indictment. So I was speed walking on multiple floors of uh, of the courthouse there. And now I just kind of feel silly because here it was, you know, we got we again, they sort of uh, went in this different direction. I think that there has been a lot of indications that that will be coming out uh, of D.C. relatively uh, shortly, obviously, especially with that meeting. Um, and we've got a really keep our eye on there. I think, you know, as far as we know, Tuesday is the next day we expect the grand jury to meet. But, you know, obviously we'll be watching out tomorrow just to see if there's any sort of special um, meeting set up. But yeah, I mean, this is this is a really thorough uh, and in-depth investigation. And I think that this this case just really sorts of sort of lays it out. You know, I did a lot of like reporting on some of the Justice Department after January 6th um, and looking at how those employees were making this decision. I just it's interesting to juxtapose what decisions they were facing about what they would ultimately do with some of these lower level Trump employees. Because, you know, if you look at the people who are in the final days of uh, the Trump administration at the Justice Department, it was a pretty easy call because what many would argue is the morally correct decision was also the financially advantageous one. You could choose, you know, it was pretty easy to say, hey, don't want to sort of go down with uh, down with the ship here. And, you know, at most you're giving up two weeks of a paycheck in those final few, uh, few days here. But, you know, these were employees who are really low level employees is a meet, you know, a maintenance worker, essentially. And just I, the, the pressure that they were under in this situation and being told by their boss who holds their entire livelihoods in their hands was just really astounding to it, me, if you think about it. And, and Nicole, I guess that is kind of the thing that does stun me the most, to be honest with you. These are not uh, men who are going to go back to, you know, multi-million dollar mansions after working for Trump. These are the valets, you know, uh, you know, while not a, I think he worked in uh, as a as sort of a sous chef or something with with Donald Trump. And I wonder if, you know, having worked in a White House and, and knowing that there are these folks that kind of gravitate around a, a president or a former president, can you make sense of these two men? Because at one point, it feels like De Oliveira and Nada are kind of running the show. They're kind of deciding after having phone calls with Donald Trump to implement this plan to hide the boxes. And they seem self-directed at a certain point. 
Well, and, you know, the, the mission is put in place by Trump, and then they're figuring out how to, how to sort of satisfy his wishes. I mean, I think that this is part of the story, and, and you're so smart to bring it up, that most people won't understand, and certainly not the Trump base. But Trump's sort of yes-men in the White House, people like Mark Meadows and even Mike Pence, have extraordinarily skilled lawyers. They have a man named George Terwilliger, represents Mark Meadows. I believe Emmett Flood is the name of the lawyer that represents Mike Pence. They will have extraordinary counsel. So in all the dealings with the Justice Department, they have attorneys that know where all the corners and all the bathrooms are in the Justice Department, and they will keep their clients out of trouble with, in Pence's case, and probably Meadows too, minimal political carnage. These other guys work for Trump Still, as you said, their livelihood, their health insurance, their family's health insurance is tied to that employment. They will have lawyers likely paid for and directed by Trump and Trump's attorneys. So in terms of what happens next, it it really is a a story of Trump preying on the dependence of more needy employees after he left the White House to carry out his his crimes. I mean, that that is the thing that's extraordinary, Andrew. You read through the FBI. I mean, to me, a meeting with the FBI would be terrifying. And the fact that Walt Nada could look an FBI agent in the face and when he's asked a very simple question, do you know where boxes were moved? No. Do you know? You know, he's they're asking information that he knows the answer. He must know that this is the FBI, that there will be penalties for lying. And he does it. And you have somebody like this other gentleman, Dale Oliveira, again, a low level guy facing what could be the end of his freedom. And they still make these false assertions, lying for someone who isn't even a real billionaire, but who, at least in degree, has so much more power than they do on, I guess, a promise maybe one day he'll pardon them. There's no evidence of that. I wonder just as a as a as a as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor yourself, does it stun you like it stuns Nicole and me that they would do it? And unfortunately, it it doesn't. So I do think that people think about um, the power relationship. They think about money. They think about, you know, if they cooperate, where is their where do they get a job in the future? They're now out of sort of MAGA world. Um, I remember Rick Gates, who cooperated with us, you know, once he cooperated, he was sort of like, now what do I do? Like, where do I go? I'm sort of persona non grata. I'm not with one group, I'm not with the other group, like, how do I earn a living now? So these low level people are sort of saying, you know, what? I'm going to put my hat with within in this ring. And and the allegations with De Oliveira are very similar to the ones with Nada. And he is being he does the same kind of alleged lying, just as as obvious when he goes into the grand jury, you have Donald Trump saying, you know, is he with me? Um, and I'm going to get him a lawyer. To Nicole's yeah. point, I mean, this is like, I'm going to keep you close and I'm going to take care of you. Having said that, it is important to note that there are people who don't make that choice. Two additional potential cooperators are noted here. Employee four and employee five are, there's a lot of information that they give. It's really clear employee four is saying, I'm not participating. He actually is cited in the indictment saying, I'm not going along with this. That would yeah. be improper. Mm-hmm. And I and look, this is where Nicole and I are probably going to say it at the same time. We could probably do this in tandem. Cassidy Hutchinson. OK, mm-hmm. she could have done it. She could have done the exact same thing. The incredible pressure on her. And she not only told the truth, she's told it on video, on TV. She told it to prosecutors, to the I mean, to the January 6th committee. She did it. It's, it's possible to do it. It's wild. Uh, Nicole Wallace, thank you for staying over time. Really appreciate you. Andrew Weissman Anytime. and Ryan Riley. 
Thank you all very much. Much appreciated. Much more in tonight's breaking news. The superseding indictment of Donald Trump. Stay right there. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We are back. And joining us now is Jill Weinbanks, former assistant Watergate special prosecutor, and Timothy Hafey, former lead investigator for the House Select January 6th committee. So many cases, so little time. Uh, Jill, I do want to go back, start with you first on these additional counts. So, you know, speeding through it here, Donald Trump, his last, the, the previous version of this indictment before the superseding indictment ended at 31. This now goes up into the 40s. And there are new counts against Trump. And there were also counts against Carlos de Oliveira and additional counts against Walt Nada. I don't know how much of this you've been able to go through, but tell me what you make of these, these new charges, because it does give new narrative about this, um, what really does look like a sort of hide the ball from the government case. Yeah, I would call it a whack-a-mole, a uh, favorite game of mine at county fairs. I, <laughs> it reminded me, first of all, of how powerful the original indictment was. Yes. And with this added information, it is absolutely a blockbuster. It is an amazing, not only in terms of the crimes committed, but in terms of the authoritarian tactics that Donald Trump used in this connection. The obstruction of justice, of course, now reminds me of what happened in Watergate. The obstruction, the concealment, the cover-up, it's all happening. And I have to think, and I am ever an optimist, could this be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Is this when the MAGA crowd finally goes, oh my God, like Richard Nixon, he is a crook. He's terrible. He is really not helping us. He is acting in his own regards. And this, you know, the flooding of the, um, the, the place where the storage was happens right after all this and is done by the person who is now also indicted. So it's really a great story, well told. It will be very powerful in front of a jury. I hope we finally get cameras in a federal court because that's something that everybody should see, especially the Trump supporters. Well, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for that to happen, but, you know, uh, hope springs eternal. Timothy Havey, I think the thing that does kind of marry this case to the January 6th potential case, which we think is probably imminent, is that it is the lower level functionaries who are doing the work, right? Um, Donald Trump calls the tune and then they do the dance and they generally go to jail go to prison. I, I cannot see yeah. any way out for someone like Carlos de Oliveira or Walt Nada, the low-level guys. They're going to jail. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point, Joy. And you're right that the, there's a connection between these two cases, and that's Walt Nauda. Walt Nauda was a White House valet, and he was uh, present in the White House on January 6th. We didn't interview him. We, we didn't have access to him. But if let's assume that the looming indictment and his legal jeopardy prompts him to cooperate uh, with the special counsel, he would have information not just about the pending indictment about classified documents, but potentially have important information about January 6th, right? We, we did not talk to every low level, and I hate to say low, that sounds disparaging, any junior staffer, because these people had incredible responsibility and most of them real professionalism. We, we didn't talk to all of them. We didn't talk to him, but he might have information about that as well. But but you're exactly right. There was a pattern here of the president directing the actions of others. It happened with respect to January 6th. It happened evidently with respect to the classified documents. And when those people to whom those directions were issued uh, have stepped forward, like Cassidy Hutchinson, as you mentioned before, uh, they're generally credible because they were insiders. They were in the room where it happened. They were very loyal Trump supporters and, and appointees of his administration. And that's what, in part, what will make them credible witnesses. Well, and to stay with you for a minute, Timothy, I mean, that was the thing that was so extraordinary about the January 6th hearings is that you weren't hearing from Democrats or, or, or never Trumpers. You were hearing from people who were loyal to Donald Trump, who voted for him, who worked for him, who went, who stayed with him all the way through January 6th, in some cases only left after that was the final straw. But even a Cassidy Hutchinson, and these are people who were under enormous pressure to stay loyal. She was under enormous yeah. pressure. There were implications that there was an attempt to even intimidate her, to get her her lawyers. She had to get different lawyers who were not part of, of Trump world in order to free herself to speak to you all. And so I wonder what you make of the ongoing loyalty of these people who seem to be at tremendous jeopardy, particularly in this classified documents case. Uh, we, everyone we've seen charged with this who isn't a former president, They've been convicted. The government's got a real good record on this. Yeah, really hard to say, Joy, what motivates individual decisions. What often happens in criminal investigations is that charges prompt discussion of cooperation. There, there may not be much interest in advance, but once there's an indictment and even a superseding indictment and the lawyers evaluate the discovery, the, essentially the government shows the cards, that creates really strong pressure. And in a conspiracy case, the lower level people have a very obvious card to play, which is cooperation in exchange for the prospect of leniency. I don't know whether Walt Nauda or this new defendant will be in that position and make that decision to cooperate. But just because they haven't thus far doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they won't between now and trial. The pressure only gets more significant. They have a more informed sense of what they're facing, and that might actually prompt cooperation. Uh, Jill, let me read you just a little bit. Um, this is this is from the indictment, uh, this new superseding indictment that charges Trump with additional counts, as well as Walty Nana and Carlos de Oliveira. This is about deleting the security for footage from on or about June 22nd, 2022, um, through in or around August of 2022 in Palm Beach County in the Southern District of Florida. The defendants, Donald J. Trump, Walty Nana and Carlos de Oliveira, did knowingly corruptly persuade and attempt to persuade another person with intent to cause and induce this person to alter, destroy, mutilate and conceal 
conceal an object with an intent to impair the object's integrity and availability. That means deleting the documents. There's also this part of the narrative part of the indictment against De Oliveira. Just over two weeks after the FBI discovered classified documents in the storage room and Trump's office on August 26, 2022, now to call Trump employee five and said words to the effect of, someone just wants to make sure Carlos is good. In response, Trump employee five told Nada that De Oliveira was loyal and that De Oliveira would not do anything to affect his relationship with Trump. That same day, at Nauda's request, Trump employee five confirmed in a signal chat group with Nauda and the PAC representatives that De Oliveira was loyal. That same day, Trump called De Oliveira and told De Oliveira that Trump would get De Oliveira an attorney. So there does seem to be attempts to keep De Oliveira, you know, on side. Uh, but I wonder if these charges, in your experience as a prosecutor, might sober his mind and the additional charges Walt Nauta is facing might sober his. You know, the answer, Joy, is it should. But I cannot believe that his attorney wasn't informed by the prosecutors already of what they had in an attempt to flip him. And that may explain why this is a superseding indictment, why he wasn't indicted in the beginning was they were still hoping that he would flip. If he does, and then we also have heard today that maybe Mark Meadows is cooperating, maybe Pence, maybe Eastman, maybe Clark. I mean, there's a whole group of people that I don't play poker, so I can't give a poker analogy, but I'll use a Scrabble one, which is this is like putting a seven-letter word on the triple in a game of Scrabble because the power of this combination of witnesses flipping on Trump would be amazing. But even with what they have now with employee four, employee five, with the text that they have, there is really good, solid evidence that would convince any jury in a courtroom where they are charged with making a decision based on the evidence in the courtroom. I hope it will also convince voters who might otherwise have considered voting for Donald Trump to say, we cannot have this person. Maybe it would convince the Republican leadership to turn away from him. We shall see. Jill Weinbanks, the very hopeful, hopeful, positive Jill Weinbanks, the Timothy AP. Thank you very much. Much appreciated, uh, both of you. Up next, I'll be joined by Officer Harry Dunn, one of the heroes of January 6th. And we'll be right back. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. January 6th was not a victimless crime. More than 150 officers were wounded and several died in connection with the insurrection. They were our last and only line of defense on that awful day. 
And what they endured should never be forgotten. For many of them, a potential indictment of the former president represents the last and final step toward real justice and accountability. Joining me now is Harry Dunn. He is the author of the upcoming book, Stand My Ground, a Capitol Police Officer's Fight for Accountability and Good Trouble after January 6th. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. So, um, so, so Officer Dunn, let, let's go through this just a little bit, because I guess the biggest question for me, as we all kind of wait and wait and wait to see what this grand jury is going to do, um, and, and it seems likely that there will be an indictment out of the D.C. grand jury, out of Jack Smith's process, on the January 6th um, situation for Trump. But for you, what does accountability really look like? Good to be here with you. It's been a while. Um, one of the things that I've been— asked about is this indictment, um, is it justice? No, no, it's a step towards justice. Um, just think about it. what is an indictment? It's holding somebody accountable for their crimes, uh, but it doesn't stop there. It goes to a jury, it goes, and they need to be convicted and found guilty and sentenced. That's what justice is. The indictment happens. Donald Trump wins the election. The indictment goes away. So just because you got an indictment, is justice been served? No. So the end of a guilty verdict is what justice looks like. And that's the end of justice. The indictment is just a, a mile marker on the way to the destination. Yeah. And I mean, there is that saying justice delayed is justice denied. This is really delayed. I mean, 933 days, 32, 33 days. Does it does it frustrate you how long, even though Jack Smith is obviously working diligently, the grand jury is doing its work. But does it frustrate you how long this whole thing is taking? Yeah. Yeah, short and simple. Absolutely it does. But, you know, this is, I'm sure, I'm not a prosecutor. I've never been an investigator on this magnitude of anything. But this crime that happened is is a huge crime. It, it, it Just look at how many webs are entangled in this crime. There is Florida. It's it's New York. It's it's here in D.C., Georgia. Everything is intertwined. So I'm sure the undertaking is huge. But it is frustrating that it is taking so long. Uh, I'm selfishly want justice and accountability for what happened that day. You know, the the classified documents, sure, that, as an American. But personally, this is personal. January yeah. 6th is personal. And me, my coworkers, were victims of that day. And that's what I want justice as a, a accountability and justice for being a victim that day. You know, I think what's frustrating, I think, as you watch this go forward, I mean, there were people like Officer Gornell and uh, Officer Fanone who actually lost their careers as a result of this because of either the injuries Officer Gornell suffered that don't that won't allow him to pursue his career of choice, um, which was his dream career. Or Officer Fanone, who's just been had the crap kicked out of him by even fellow officers for doing the right thing. And there's been so much pressure on you all. You know, Officer Sicknick died, lay in state. We, we saw it. We all saw it, that he was honored uh, in death because of what happened to him. Him. And so for you all, nothing was delayed. Yeah. Everything bad happened. You know, the racism that you suffer, the although I'm su- su- surprised people would step to you, uh, brother. I mean, I would, <laughs> you know, but they did. And I mean, all that happened happened to you already. And so I guess the delay is frustrating, I guess, for all of us to watch. But for you, it's just on a different level. Yeah. See, you just named just a few officers. Yeah. There's so many officers whose names, faces you'll never know. That's that, right. That people that left their job, that hate their job now. They're just doing and just waiting to, for the time to run out so they can retire and leave. Uh, you know, it, I used to be happy to go to work, and but it's, it's kind of like it's been stripped away from me. I'm not happy anymore. I, I do it because it's my responsibility, but yeah. it's not a happy 
time with I used to enjoy it, but I don't really enjoy it anymore. Um, but yeah, just the officers that you named, like there's so many that you won't know and that won't can they, they can't walk straight anymore, that don't have full range of motion in their in their arms, that that suffer from PTSD and so it's not a victimless crime. Yeah. I mean, and you also, on top of that, have members of Congress who ran and were protected by you all, that you guys protected their lives. Um, you know, but that's I, the thing. That, and then they're justifying but, but it. No, not even, but yeah, but that's our job. And that's, that just shows how the pride that we take in doing our job, regardless of who it is, independent, Republican, it doesn't matter. We did our job because we believe in doing our job and everybody has a job to do, whether it's a congressman, a senator, a governor, or somebody that works down the street at the grocery store. Everybody has a job to do when it comes to defending this democracy. Everybody has a role to play. So if somebody says, what can I do? Bring a friend with you to the polls. You know, help help spread the word about Election Day because we need to get people in office that believe in taking democracy serious and are truthful about what happened that day and the history that's going on in this country. Yeah, I mean, I still think about Officer Goodman. Like, you know, I, I, I told you, I, I, I just tell my kids he's Black Panther. I just tell them <laughs> that. He's running up the stairs backwards. But I mean, you now have Donald Trump is the front runner to be the Republican nominee for president again. His fans, which account for maybe a third of, you know, in every poll of the adult population of the United States, they believe January 6th was justified. They believe the January 6th people are heroic. They're buying that song that Donald Trump, um, that was recorded by people who are locked up right now for brutalizing police officers. What do you make of all of that? We can't dismiss them. And I feel like they exist, right? But that's why... We just can't dismiss them if they don't exist and take these elections for granted. You know, oh, it's just a small population. Yeah, but they're going to vote. Yes, they're going to vote. So it's important for the people who disagree with them to get out there and let their voices be heard, not be the silent majority, be the loud majority. Yeah. Has the I mean, I wonder if you all, you know, is there like a group chat? Like, do you guys sort of are you able to offer each other the kind of support that, you know, the public feels for you all? But they're not lucky like me. They'd be able to talk to you, you know, and have you on, on my show and be able to speak to you. Do you guys have sort of a support network that you've been able to create? The support chat is uh, a lot of four letter words. <laughs> <laughs> Expression of frustration yeah. about this. Um, You're allowed. But yeah, we we we're there for each other. And, you know, uh, I hope people know that I'm there for them. And, you know, I appreciate the people that are there for me, too. We have to do a lot of stories about uh, police who don't do the right thing. Yeah. These are police officers who did the right thing. And I think we have to laud people who actually understand what police work is supposed to be about and do the darn thing. And you yeah. all did it. Thank you. Officer Harry Dunn. I appreciate Thank you, you very much. Yeah. Uh, my brother, appreciate you. Um, we'll be right back. Another day, more legal peril for Donald Trump. Nothing to see here, his party continues to claim about the man who is still the frontrunner for the Republican nomination. Meanwhile, presidential candidates not named Donald Trump refuse to go on the attack, which leaves many of us wondering, what exactly is the platform of the Republican presidential field? A promise to pardon Trump about a kiss the ring and just hope for the best? It doesn't even really matter, though, does it? Because Trump and his Republican challengers are in a feedback loop where Trump still has cult-like control of the base, which forces Republicans to proclaim enduring fealty to the man or keep their criticism under wraps. They really have no choice, do they, but to promise to save him, whether he becomes the nominee or not.
Joining me now is Michael Steele, former RNC chair, MSNBC political analyst, and host of the Michael Steele podcast, and lone <laughs> solo voice <laughs> rowing on an endless stream of Republican cuckoo <laughs> by yourself, trying to be the same Republican. But here's the thing. This is what That's I so find true. so wild. It almost doesn't matter whether he's the nominee, Michael. No. Because if he's not... Whoever the nominee is, is going to have to vow we'll still, to save Trump. Trump yeah. is still the greatest president. We'll live ever. in his shadow. Yeah. And, that, and that's the other side of this narrative that no one <laughs> wants to talk about. And you want to push DeSantis out there, flop. You want to raise up Tim Scott, ho, hopeful, you know. And then we talk about this one or talk about that one. I'm like, okay, so when you do that, right. what do you think this Trumpian base does? Right. And more importantly, what do you think Donald Trump himself does? Does he then say to whoever, whomever has usurped him? Right. Oh, here's my base. Here, take them. Take them. Right. And let me help you become the next president of the United States. No. No, that's not how this works. This has always been forevermore about taking control of a party that he knew he could punk in the first instance. You can go back to the videotapes from the late 80s and yeah. 90s when Donald Trump was asked, would, you know, if you ran for president, would you run as a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> he said, I'd run as a Republican. Why? Because it would be easier. Yeah. I mean, this is how it's an ideological shift. To your point, if the person who's the nominee, let's say it's Chris Christie, the whole Trump base will just stay home. So they can't win numerically because the right. Trump base won't vote unless you are loyal to Trump and, and declare right. fealty to him. And then if he is the nominee, you, you can't win either because all the normies will be like, we can't vote for him. He stole classified right. documents and did January 6th. And here's how far the party has gone. Byron Donalds, Byron. who, you know, uh, uh, allowed somebody to rub him on the head, which to me was, <laughs> you know. That's but another then, conversation. <laughs> whole another conversation, but also claimed they were going to make him speaker. Right. Um, although that was then disputed later by uh, his supposed sponsor admitting, no, we just wanted him because he was black. Right. He literally came out. He's a black man from Florida and tried to mildly criticize the slaves benefited from slavery. Right. Thing. And right. this isn't even Trump saying it. It was DeSantis's policies. Right. right. He got mowed down like the lawn. Yes. Because you can't even say no. slavery was bad now in the Republican Party. That's how far it's gone. And that's not even Trump who, who had the policy. It was DeSantis. It, it is It is a profoundly uh, important note to make about that moment with uh, Congressman Donalds and DeSantis and the party writ large. That here you have one of a handful of black Republican members of the United States Congress who are Republican saying what he rightly should have said, this idea that, you know, black folks actually benefited from slavery is just crazy. Right. right? Um, but then DeSantis coming, you know, clap backing on him the way he did. But notice none of those members that were pushing him out to be the next speaker Where's of the Chip house. Boy? None of them came out and said, you know what? A, don't mess with my boy. B, he's right. No. Right. No one, no one. No. And so that that again tells you about the Trumpian narrative. You go into this space thinking you're locked arms and you're all kind of moving right. the same way. You're not, baby boo. You're not. You're, you're useful by yourself. You're, not useful. you're by yourself. You're useful until you're not. And that being not useful can happen as quickly as Congressman as it happened to him. And so I wonder, like, if you project forward, I mean, this is very serious. These classified documents charges that have mm -hmm. been added now, this man used 
two low-level people of color, let's just be clear, uh, Waltine Nada and Mr. D'Olivera, used them to commit the crime, the alleged crime. I should say alleged crime. They're definitely going. I mean, I don't see what their defense is. They lied to the FBI about it. They moved the boxes. They did it. They tried to get the tapes deleted. D'Olivera is the one saying, delete the tapes, stay loyal. They've got them. It seems to be dead to rights. So the, and yet, doesn't the base of the Republican Party at some say, why do you keep using low-level people to do your dirt? Why doesn't that make Republicans Because, because the, the low-level folks tend to be much more in awe of the Trumpianara, you know. He's so not even a billionaire. This thing, right. But they, you know, come on. The hype is the hype is in the room before he is, right? So the reality of they, they see him, they work for him, yeah. right? More importantly, they do work for him. He employs them. Um, and, and what I think Trump has learned that over the years, folks at that level— um, you know, not the advisors, because he doesn't generally trust them anyway. He can trust them to do what he needs done. He can say to them, as it was noted, how many times did Nada tell uh, the elevator, hey, the boss wants this boss done. Wants. So that means we're doing it, yeah. right? Um, where Versus what he was getting from his advisors who were like, well, if you do that, I'm going to quit. Right. And so that was the whole FBI conversation, right? If you right. put this person in charge, you're going to have mass firings That's to, right. because we're not going to go along with what you want to do. Trump has learned from that. His next administration, God forbid, will have will have more nadas in it than Absol- not. You're, you're absolutely right. OK, uh, Michael Steele, thank you very much. We'll be right back. Thanks for watching. That's tonight's readout. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com.